0: This is Upreneur FM, the official podcast of the Upreneur Mastermind community, a place where no entrepreneur gets left behind in their pursuit of building a business they can be proud of. And now, now, here's your host, serial entrepreneur and best-selling author, Chris Ducker.
1: Well, hello and welcome to episode number 237 of Upreneur FM, the weekly podcast where we share proven practical strategies and insights on how to build a successful business based around your personal brand and the people that you want to help the most. Thank you so much for being with me today as always. And in this week's show we're sitting down to talk with Mitch Joel. Yes, podcaster, blogger, author, content creator, keynote speaker extraordinaire, Mitch Joel, the one and only Mitch Joel. Is in the house. We're talking all about the importance of rebooting from time to time both as an entrepreneur and As a content creator, you're going to love it. However, before we get cracking, just a quick reminder that Youpreneur FM is brought to you by the Youpreneur Mastermind community, the premier online community for entrepreneurs wanting to build a profitable, sustainable business based around their experience and those that they want to serve. Community members get exclusive access to our Acceleration Training Library, which includes everything you'll need to know to build, market, and monetize a successful business, and couple that together with our monthly mastermind calls, discounted tickets to our live events, and access to our enthusiastic, supportive member-only forums, and you've got everything you need to succeed. If you're serious about building the business of you, as I call it, and in the most rewarding profitable way possible, then you must join us. So be sure to head over to youpreneur.com forward slash mastermind today for more info. So on to my conversation with Mitch Joel. Now, whether you know Mitch from his ridiculously long-running podcast under the title of Six Pixels of Separation, or whether you've seen him live on stage at some event, he speaks at probably 50, 60 each year, or whether you picked up what he's all about in his latest book, Control-Alt-Delete, which came out a little while ago, it doesn't matter, because Mitch, quite frankly, is a bloody genius. And he's, more than anything else, for me, he's a genius content creator, and in this Interview We break down exactly how not only does he create that content but reboots it quite regularly in regards to how he goes about not only researching it but creating it and then publishing it. It's a great conversation, and I know you're going to love it. Here's myself and Mitch. So, Mitch, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, great to be here.
1: Well, it's fantastic to have you. I feel like it's grossly overdue. Um, so, and that's all my fault. It's got nothing to do with you in any way whatsoever. But I'm really, really pumped to have you on because I, lo- I, I, I picked up Control Alt Delete not so long ago. Um, we bumped into each other at conferences through the years. We've got a gazillion mutual friends and all the rest of it. It was time for Mitch Joel to land in Yupina land. So, all right. welcome formally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no pressure,
1: yeah. No, no pressure at all here. So, I mean, I, I thought it might be quite nice. Obviously, you know, the the premise of Control Alt Delete um, was about, you know, rebooting. It was about reengaging, adapting, um, getting ready for the future, that sort of type of thing. And so, let's before we get into kind of the nitty gritty, so to speak, I'd love to kind of just. Go into where the idea of this book for you personally as an author, speaker, etc, Where did this book come from from within mitch
0: oh, it's a great question I mean it's been many years so so while you picked it up recently, which is great because it speaks to the longevity oh yeah I think i I think I published the book you know maybe four, maybe even five years ago. I was going to say about three four years ago, yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, and you start sort of the process of writing it and stuff years before you know most people get a chance to see it. It Was my second book. My first one was called Six Pixels of Separation, which is the name of my blog and podcast that I've been mm-hmm. running both of them for over a decade. And you know, it, it was an interesting time. I wasn't sure if I had a second book in me. I think as a writer, you always know you do, but this sort of you know Mount Everest of of writing a book. You know, people seem to think, "Oh, you see a lot of books, and you oh, just sort of write books." To absolutely. me, a book is like um, it's like Moby Dick, and all I've got is like a fork and some tartar sauce, you know, to go after this <laughs> whale. <laughs> right. Um, and, and what happened is, I sort of acknowledged at a, at a moment in time that there were some fundamental shifts happening in business that most brands weren't paying a lot of attention to. And it was really very much an extension of the work that I do. So you know, again, I'm constantly publishing, constantly putting out content. You have the book. I do 40 to 50 speaking events a year. I've got mm-hmm. this agency, Mirum, which is a global digital agency that really is my full-time job. The other stuff just really supports the business development of that. And I I thought, wow, like here we are and there are still these movements that you know most people are doing little to nothing about. But it just felt like too derivative of of the next book after six pixels of separation to me and i literally had one of those cliche moments in the shower where it came to me and i realized it's not enough to just talk about what a brand needs to do to reboot in this day and age but the real win would be how do we like people like you and i go to work tomorrow in this different environment and when Mm. that came to me the real core of the book clicked and that's why the book is actually separated into two sections section one is reboot business and section two is reboot you yeah and when that crystallized for me and then obviously in speaking to my literary agent and my publisher i felt like it had the legs underneath it if you know what i mean to like really make it for for the marathon that that the book all books i think are when they're done half decently and and done with with real you know intention Mm. um and, you know, here we sit, you know, many years later, and I think it's a testament to the book, one, it, it, being asked to talk about it, which I love. I also love it because I haven't stopped any of that publishing, whether it's writing, speaking, podcasting, right. media appearances. And that's evolved the concepts very much dramatically into sort of what will be a third book, but is currently right now a, a new keynote address that I give called Algorithm, which is A L G O dash r-h-y-t-h-m i need the dash there because people still misspell it as algorithm the the data word which mm-hmm. is not um so so that's sort of what it was it was more of that moment in time where i realized wow this isn't just about how do we reboot business but how do we change who we are when we go to work
1: i mean i think i i think this book's still going to be relevant 10 years from now like 25 years from now because i mean we it will will always evolve. I mean, things come around and, you know, we might have a little bit of deja vu here and there. But ultimately, I think that we're consistently adapting to change. We're consistently pivoting. We're consistently moving forward. My old man, my dad used to say, you know, three things in life you, you, you know are going to come your way. So you best try and prepare for them as, as best as you can. Number one, taxes, right? Num- number two, yeah, change in general will always come your way. There's not much you can do about it, but if you can prepare, then great. And then number three, death. You know, you can nobody wants to talk about that, but it's going to come to all of us at some point. And I love the way that he sort of always talked about just preparing and trying to get ready and all that sort of type of stuff. And for me, what I love about being an entrepreneur, particularly a personal brand entrepreneur, is being able to do what I like to do to serve the people that I like to work with and I like to solve problems for. And I think that particular. I mean, obviously, from your perspective as a speaker, like you said, you're 40, 50, maybe sometimes more gigs out on the road. I know we've got mutual friends like Scott Stratton and, and Jay Beer and a lot of other people who spend probably even more time than that on the road every year. How do you, I'm just curious from a speaking perspective, how has, how has things changed on the speaking circuit for you over the last, say, four or five years?
0: I mean, you know, my my work speaking is one of those weird anomaly stories where I didn't sort of build it from this small thing into this big thing. I actually had an opportunity to speak in front of 5 or 6,000 people on, on a leadership event with Dr. Phil, you know, going back well over a decade, and doing that event led to me meeting a speaking bureau and right away get like I was doing that Before I even had a book or any, you know, real sort of notoriety and what limited notoriety I have in the space that I'm in, so it's a bit of a weird thing where I think a lot of speakers, if you ask that question to, they'll talk about this trajectory of you know starting Mm -hmm. off in smaller venues and I didn't really have that. I was sort of thrown to the lions then early and then just (laughs) capitalized on a moment in time. What I would say is that in the past five years, the model of thinking in terms of content has changed for me fundamentally and. I stole this model from Louis C.K., the the famed comedian, where he has this thing where every year he wants 100% of a new skit, a new new show. That's right, yeah. And and what people think is that it means that, like, December 25th, he has an anxiety attack and writes an entirely (laughs) new hour, and then January 1, he hits the road. But it's not, if you really dig into what he means, is over the course of a year – he is taking in and pulling out stuff. He's making his closing joke the opener. He's moving things around. He's taking out stories that maybe don't work as well and adding in new one. So, and he's testing as he goes, but there's still a core that sort of trails along with it. And I, I think for me in the past four to five years is I very much have adapted that model that I, I, I did have from day one, but I'm much more, again, intentional about it, meaning no matter what I see in the world, if I think it's important enough to be a slide, I make it a slide right at that moment in time. It might even be just a couple little pieces of words or a picture mm-hmm. right on a slide, and I just have a raw master file with, with now over 30,000 slides in it. Um what that does is it allows me to to look at a story and go, well that's you know that's no longer relevant or that case study is now being used by so many people that it's no longer fun for me. Sure. Um, it allows me to bring in stories of people you probably haven't heard of but still speak to a macro theme or story that I'm trying to you know parlay into into an audience moment of learning and so I think for me that's been the biggest change is really. Knowing that if you see me 365 days from now, it's fundamentally different. If you see me four months from now, you know, might be uh, two thirds different, or even a third different. Sometimes it's just a tweak of data too. I'm just updating data points and stuff because I still think the story is relevant. So it depends on the year. But that thinking has really inspired me, and the byproduct of that has been, um, you know, like a thing like we talked earlier about Joe Polizzi and, and content marketing world, where. You know, he'll say, well, you, you did your keynote last year, and I'll be like, well, what's on my brain now? And it could even be a blog post or an article that I wrote, and I will take that and turn it into, I'll call it a tight 30, but as I build it, it usually turns into a keynote of its own, and so I have a couple of those. One is specifically about augmented and virtual reality in terms of what it means for brands today, and the other one is really about how to build what I call your content marketing center of excellence. Um, and so the, that's, that's a new thing for me, too, where I sort of have not just my one big keynote, but I actually have three to four hours of individual hour-long keynotes that are very different topics.
1: So, I mean, okay, let's stick on this con- on, on this uh, line of questioning here for a second because I, th- I think it's actually quite an interesting one. A lot of us have ideas and we jot them down in moleskins or on Trello or whatever the hell we're using to sort of get stuff out of our heads. Once you've, once you've got these two or three other now hour long sessions ready to go, do you kind of wait until you'll potentially get maybe somebody wants to come along and book you to perform that live to really tweak it and spend time on it and get it just right? Or is your brain to the point where you have to kind of wrap it like as soon as possible, sort of thing, like you want it ready to
0: go there's there's a lot of avenues I could go down on this A, a lot of people would think you know until it's really polished, don't put it in front of an audience or have them pay for it because of the value and I, I definitely follow you know Amy and Michael Port's thinking around heroic public speaking, the work that they've done with you know his book steal the show mm-hmm. um I, and and there's a lot of work for me to do in that realm of how he teaches people become better public speakers nick morgan's another example of a great speaking coach that i admire that i not really worked with but developed a relationship with um, my whole thing is i think i have something here and i'll build it out where it's highly visual and i'm you know sort of narrating it and it's transcribed in my brain i sort of know where i want to go and just by the nature of my work environment here at Miram, the agency i can book a lunch and have 40 people in a room and 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 do it and sort of just see right then and there live. Okay, that didn't work. This didn't work. And get myself to a place where it's pretty close to what I would call prime time. Mm-hmm. Now, prime time is a, is a funny thing. I, you know, this work I'm doing now in my latest keynote, I still feel needs work. It's just maybe it's my own. You know, self esteem around it, around just how I am as a person. Maybe it's my own anxiety around it, which I think are all very powerful, not negative drivers for me, but powerful drivers for me because it makes me want to do more, be more, make it better, make sure people like it more. Um, but it is it is very iterative. So people say, oh, don't you ever get tired of telling that story or people ask for this one? And the answer is no, because it's not really the content. It's much more about the delivery, timing, how it flows, where it fits.
1: Sure, That's sure. interesting
0: to me as the speaker. Um, so so it's a tough question to answer very linearly. Uh, I mm-hmm. feel very confident in the content. I know the content is relevant. It's important. It needs to be shared. The delivery will always need work and will constantly re- require fine tuning. But I am at a at a level in terms of just having done this for over a decade and and what I do, and I would never put something on the market that I didn't think was worth the the money that goes against it to have me speak. It, it's not worth my own stress level to yeah to no. do that.
1: I, I hear loud um, so and clear. Yeah, I hear loud and clear. So when so when you when you are so I mean obviously you're you're now with obviously planning on, you know, the new book with Algorithm, which is fundamentally now a keynote. How do you take, it's funny you do it that way, because obviously yeah. we had Jay on the show not so long ago. It's the um, reverse,
0: I know. These yeah, guys are no. the reverse.
1: <laughs> so, so where do you, where do you come, sort of what angle do you come at here then? I mean, is it sort of, you, you, you sort of just start, Writing based on your, like, will you literally transcribe, have one of your keynotes transcribed no. and then sort of build it out from there?
0: Like, how do you do it? No, I mean, the answer is again. I'm probably not as successful as I should be when it comes to sort of like thinking about it that way. Because I hear, you know, like a guy like Jay or whatever, and I see how much more success they have. And I'm like, man, maybe I should probably do it. though. There's something there, right? And <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know what it is with me. Maybe it's just my stubborn metalhead punk roots that don't allow me to, to go beyond how I operate. Um, it's none of that stuff. Uh, I look at each piece of content, at the media channels, as very unique I would consider it a complete affront to take a keynote address, have it transcribed, and rewrite that into a book. I find, to me, as a as a guy who loves to write, I find that it's like that's not what you do. And as a guy who likes to speak, I find that it's not what you do. Right, I get the right. model. You know, you write a book and then you speak about it. I get it. I could never do that. So even Control All Delete as a keynote address wasn't really at all the stuff that was in the book at all. They right. were two different beasts, and they were written uniquely for the media that they are created for. So a book to me isn't a compilation of blog posts. I mean it could be. It's just not for me. And a keynote address for me isn't a one-hour abridged version of a book. They are completely uniquely creative artistic expressions. For me, it happens to be with a business land, and I respect each one as its own skill set. Okay. So I, uh, I build a keynote from point one. To point 10 or whatever it is and it's its own beast that i nurture love and practice and it's the same thing if i'm writing an article or, or a book i do not pull and i do not cross pollinate and again i i'm not saying this to be holier than now i'm not saying it as a judgment against others i get how the world works and how people do this and make money um it's not what i like I really just not your try thing and, yeah i look at it more like art and uh, some days i'm painting on a canvas and other days i'm sculpting i wouldn't say how do i take that painting that i did and turn that into a sculpture it doesn't work for me
1: mhm mhm so okay that's really interesting because you know in the whole kind of i might of use the same
0: name though but I might use the same name. Well, so I might okay. call the book Control. Look, I, I, my blog is Six Pixels. My podcast is Six Pixels. I have a book called Six Pixels. None of, every, each piece of content was created uniquely for the different canvases or mediums that those represent. Totally get it. Great. Because, I mean, in, in the online business
1: world, there's a lot of people. Talking about repurposing, we've handled that topic on the show before. We've talked about taking a podcast, turning it into slides, or turning it into a podcast, uh, you know, whatever, exactly, yeah. So, and, and, and I get it. For some people it works great, some people it doesn't. I flirted with it. I do a little bit here and there. I probably, I probably should do maybe a little more of it, if I'm to be honest, because of the fact that I know that there are... Some people that do not listen to this show that love my blog and vice versa. Uh, oh, they but might, same you know. here.
0: Like, like it's – like I will have like Mirim, which is our, our, our global you – know, the agency I work for, like like send me an email from someone in, in PR in, in New York or another city saying, hey, can we take your blog post and, and I re-edited it and posted it on the Miram blog. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Go for it. And I look at the – and I'm like, wow, this is really good. And I realized like, I wrote that thing six months ago. Right. And, so, so, like, it's really interesting to me where it's like, well, like I, I, yeah, I sort of wrote it and dismissed it because I, sure. I create so much content. Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. And so I'm the same way. I feel like, why don't I just do one thing and really spend the <laughs> rest of the month propagating it? You know, instead of like, I write and I write and I write and I speak and I do a show. Yeah. I was away on vacation. So I posted the shows for my weekly podcast, comes out Sunday morning and i feel like wow so now 3 weeks have passed and i had three great conversations and i haven't done it like i haven't sort of put it into linkedin or let people know on facebook and i'm like god what kind of stupid idiot am i <laughs> but right. yeah i just want to create i love
1: creating well you let's let's talk on the podcast real quick um, you have been doing the show since what 2000 quote me i'm shoot me down from wrong here 2006 7 yeah, yeah, about that over okay. a decade. And I mean, we're up to like 500 plus, almost 600 episodes now. When I think about that, here I am at like what? What are we at now? Like 250 or so, coming up on 250. Um, but How that often being published? Well, I go once a week, but this is actually yeah, one of four podcasts that I've launched and published since 2010.
0: So I've, well, been... I've I have two others also, but but yeah, okay, but but, but that's my baby, yeah.
1: Okay, right. I, and, and the same with this as well. Now, I see I don't see this going away anytime soon. And it's funny you mentioned, like, you know, you write a blog post six months ago, and then you say, well, hell, why don't I just repurpose this thing and, and get it out there in several different mediums? There is probably so much gold in your archive, just as there is in my archive or anybody else's archive for that matter. What stops you? Is it just wanting, and, you know, we're, we're kind of morphing into our main topic here, I mean, are you are you just sort of are you wanting to kind of just uh, keep things
0: fresh or what's stopping you from going yeah. back and, and seeing what's what's possible? It's the, a couple of things. It's a great question. Really good questions. Um one of the things for me is I was never good at comments. Blogs were really popular. I was like, oh yeah, people are commenting and like you gotta go in and say thanks and have a battle in the comments and I was always of the mindset of and again I have a background in journalism and and writing where the the article, the blog post, is the beginning, middle and end of my thought. I I publish it in this platform that allows me to broadcast it and distribute it to the world for free i love that it's an amazing mm-hmm. especially when you come from the print magazine world like i did where editors and gatekeepers and cost entry and distribution channels all gone and people would say you know mitch you would be a lot more successful if you'd play around in the comments and i, I tried and i would it just felt so inauthentic to me and what i realized is that because it's a beginning middle and end for me each piece of how i think and i operate the the form of the comments is for you I mean it is for someone else to say, I agree, I disagree, here's why this – but I already said what I had to say. Sure. <laughs> I, I really, It really was my thought. And th- my other reaction was I was on to the next thing or the next next thing at that point already. So mm-hmm. I just felt like sort of belaboring in this stuff that I had already done was taking energy and time away from all the other things I still want to create. And I find myself many, many years later just still so much – holding so much reverence for the publish button like I, I that's why I don't tweet a lot or I even post a lot on Facebook or I'm not this constant look at me look at me do this do this because I don't want to waste your time Chris mm. I, mm. if you like and follow me I want to make sure that everything I put out if I put it out I want Chris to go if Mitch hit the publish button on this there's something here and I'm very sensitive to that at the same time I've got this infovore mentality of like there's just not enough hours in the day to create and publish and do this and again maybe part of it now is as i get older my my speed and publishing on on pure articles has changed a lot i try i used to be seven pieces a week for sure now i'm down to sometimes three four i'm going to cycle it up now i feel it coming um it's more like that like it's not a sort of mechanized it must be this it must be that but I really do feel like there's a lot more I want to create. And, if, and any time I spend in the rearview mirror on stuff I already created is taking time and energy away from creating what's next. Mm. And it's, it's not necessarily right. And I spend a lot of my days, Chris, telling people who I speak to and who I coach and who I do interviews with like this, do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. I don't have one single email address of anybody in over a decade. And I'm sure that many people right now just head stop and are no longer listening to me talk because they think I'm an idiot. And I might be. I, I could be. I would tell everybody the first thing I would do is build a list if I were you. And here I am not doing that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, you know, I, people say to me, what, what is your analytics? I don't know if I have analytics. That's how <laughs> long it's been since I've looked at anything. How many downloads do you get? I have no I, – I don't I have a clue. And I'm not saying this. Like Ego, you could pull anybody you know, – I'm sitting in my office here. You could pull anybody off of my IT and pull them in and go, where where the analytics on six pixels? And, and they might even say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know if there's Google Analytics on it literally. Well, I think there's something to be said,
1: though, for that to a certain degree because it shows that you're more interested in the reasons why you do the things or or rather just focusing on the things that you do rather than the reasons behind them to a certain degree. Because for me, I don't pay all that much attention to those numbers. Somebody asked me what my SEO strategy was the other day, and I said uh, just to consistently create and add value. To everybody that comes my way, whether it be my blog, my I mean, that's my SEO strategy is to but consistently directly, come up with content to
0: help. Right, but speaking directly to your question, it's 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 bad as a digital marketing or marketing professional that I am that the sort of core of what can make this stuff really have reach and depth and push is almost something that, like when it comes to my own content, I somewhat rail against. And it's not a holier than now. It's not a – I believe my stuff is – I don't know. I cannot answer specifically why other than to say it is very much – I mean everything that I create is is me, soul, me. I publish everything, every little image that's then popped in I, I manually do. I don't have a team of one to 15 people who take my audio and then turn it into the final product. I do it. I'm literally manually editing it on my own. Um, and i pr- I like the craft of it, and I just sometimes feel like 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 people confuse this craft that I'm working on with audience size and 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 how much more could do. and i I don't know that that is in my brain what I ultimately want I think of course, I want people to pay attention to my work and for that audience to grow and grow. But I I have more joy in the craft of it, like the real physicalness of typing and editing and moving things and placing them and then going and, and sharing them than I do in terms of like manipulating it to earn more audience. And again, that's a do as I say, not as I do. I think it's a fault, not not necessarily a positive attribute of my stuff.
1: I get it totally. And I respect that wholeheartedly. I mean, so let, let's let go into a, a couple of little things real quick then. So I mean, you, what I liked about, um, when I picked up and, and, and I read Control alt, Delete, um, and I mentioned to you before we hit record, I picked it up in Hong Kong Airport. And anybody yeah. that knows, no, anyone that knows me knows, I spent a lot of time at Hong Kong Airport because I'm obviously I've been based here in the Philippines for the last 16 years. Although I am moving back to the UK next year, but obviously because of all the trips to the United States and to Europe, Hong Kong is the hub, right? That's where I go with good old Cathy Pacific. So I'm at Hong Kong Airport all the time. I'd say. A good thirty percent of the books that are sitting on my bookshelves around the house have been purchased at the airport through the years. And what I liked about it was right out the gate. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just a, a half a centimeter or so into the book, and you're already talking about the importance of delivering value, creating great relationships. Being consistent, all this sort of stuff. What kind of value do you now, today, at this point in your career? It's a bit of a loaded question, but what value do you place on solid relationships nowadays? As not only as a business person, but
0: just as a person as a whole. I mean, what's the point of waking up without that? Mm. I, I people say to me, you know, it's, it's just business. You got to have a thick skin. A lot of these cliches, and I'm like, well, aren't I the opposite? I have very thin skin, um, and I take business very personally for one reason. I've got a young family now that I I love, and I want to spend as much time with as possible, and going to work takes you away from that. Mm. And if I'm going to spend an hour away from watching a kid's game or playing on the floor or even hanging out doing nothing with them – I take it really personally and mm. I want to make sure that I'm putting my best effort in to 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 that. And I just don't believe you can have a strong business without a strong community and that relationships are what build community whether it's locally, nationally, internationally, professionally, communally, charitable. I just think that my network is the, that cliche. Is my net worth, and maybe I was poisoned too early on in my career by reading people like Jeffrey Gittimer and <laughs> Keith Ferrazzi, right. and Tom Peters, and Seth Godin, to 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 sort of believe it. Right. You know, maybe that maybe that wasn't the smartest thing, or maybe it was the greatest thing ever.
1: Well, I mean, I've read plenty of. Jeffrey Gidimer's books. I, a Little Red Book of Selling is probably the one sales book that I've recommended above and beyond everything else throughout my entire yeah. sales Very career popular. myself. So I, I, I get it totally. You also talk about the importance of your true fans. And, you know, these are your your, and I quote you here, your
0: heavy users. Go into that and the importance that you place on that nowadays it's funny to hear this stuff because in my brain i also get a little anxious that like oh my god he's going to talk about the book and i haven't even looked at it in so long right? again, <laughs> I've, I've created so much content since then it's it's, so, it's obscene i'm trying and to make it easy saying... i'm trying to make it easy for you yeah, yeah, but when you were saying it what i actually thought in my head is wow this sounds a lot like kevin kelly's thousand true fans right and right the truth is that like I only was exposed to this Kevin Kelly concept very recently when I read uh, Tim Ferriss' book, Tools of Titans, which I thought was a fantastic book. Um, and, and again, so like it's funny. Two things are happening here. One is I don't really remember writing that, so good. I think that that's correct. Two is… <laughs> Oh, boy, I, I hope I didn't just sort of reword something that, I, that Kevin Kelly, who is much smarter than I, has already said. Good. <laughs> Three, I didn't know. But, but, I mean, it's true. Like, I mean, I recently read this Thousand Fans piece by Kevin Kelly without having been exposed to it before, which is strange because I'm a fan of him and I've had, had him on my show a couple times. Um, and and it, it rings so true for me. And it goes, it goes back to my spirit of craft It goes back to just the work that I do. I work primarily with large national, multinational brands, and their ability and desire of reach is at such a cost that those 1,000 true fans, customers, heavy users, whatever we call them, is sometimes very much jeopardized or they don't even know who necessarily they are and what they can do for them. So I I do. I find myself battling it every day and trying to get bigger brands to not worry about how many but who, which is something I did talk a lot about in control All delete And at the same time, I then reflect on it for myself. Don't we all want to have an audience that you know somebody like a Gary Vaynerchuk has been fortunate enough to access? Of course, I think it's normal to want to have an audience like that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, being a music fan and a person who started off in the music industry and, and writing there – I don't dismiss the value of, of seeing bands who are really starting out and who became extremely successful based off of those one thousand fans first and seeing how that relationship evolves over decades. Yeah, and, I mean, I have, and I have it. I have it. I see the people who interact with me on my comments or on my Facebook and to say that I'm appreciative of them would be insulting. It's it's right. way more than that. Yeah, and I was gonna say
1: I mean anybody that's worth their weight in any industry with any kind of following has has got to that 1000 point and then obviously just kind of it's the stratosphere situation from there on in if they become uber successful so i mean it makes total sense i mean i i often say sometimes and you're right i mean that that piece by kevin kelly is great and for you guys listening we'll link to that in the show notes because i know that you'll uh, you'll love it if you haven't read it already but i often say that maybe a thousand isn't even needed maybe a hundred maybe a hundred invite a hundred oh, people around sure.
0: to your for living sure. room it's enough you know what i mean no for sure and, and it's funny when i first started doing this stuff I also launched this business book club where I thought this is a good way to be accountable is to every month pull people together in, in a boardroom in one of my offices and talk about a book and this just would force me to read a book a month which is sort of you know 12 books isn't that big of a deal but when you're busy it's, it's quite 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 a few books to read sure. and we became so well bonded as a group And it's the same thing. I was actually thinking about another thought, which is it's not even about 1,000 or 100. It's also the fact that – and this freaks people out the most when I talk about my content specifically – is I called my audience very transient, and I'm okay with that. Meaning if you didn't listen to episode 558 and you jumped in at 401 and then came back at 542, you didn't miss anything. Mm. It's it's not a storyline. Each piece of content is a beginning, middle, and end. You don't have to read my articles every day. You don't have to read every single thing I publish. You don't have to read my book. You don't have to read the book from beginning to end. You could listen to a podcast because you like me. You could listen to it because you like the guest. You could listen to it because you like the content on it. You could listen to it for all three reasons, for two reasons to skip it. If you come back next week, you didn't miss anything. It's a whole new conversation with someone else. I love I loved that spirit of my content too. The fact that you can come in at any time and not feel like I need to go back and check out, you know, like it's the number one problem I have right now with Game of Thrones. I haven't watched any episodes. I feel Mm -hmm. like, oh my God, like eight, nine, ten, I don't know how many seasons there is. That's like a heavy commitment to get to where we are today. Right. Right. (laughs) My content is not that. And so the other side of it is it's not just a thousand true fans or a hundred true fans. It's how you create content and accept it out in the in the world. And for me, it's the fact that it is non-transient audiences, and I'm great with that. I, I really am.
1: I, I love the fact that you're breaking this down into such a simple tone in regards to what you do and how you do it. Because obviously, I mean, you are successful. You have gained a big audience, and you, you do make great money and all that sort of type of thing. But I, uh, I like the fact that it's so simple. Every piece of content I create has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it doesn't matter when you join the journey, you'll be welcome. I think I think that's a great way to look at it.
0: Yeah, and I, I'd love to say it was uh, it's sort of like strategic and planned, but it, the reason why I, I talk about it is because it does run somewhat counterintuitive to let, Like, imagine you're a small brand, a big brand, a medium-sized brand, a B two B, a B two C brand, and and your head of comms, marketing, content said that. Mm -hmm. Every piece doesn't have to be this thing that everybody then has to watch. And if it doesn't, it's considered a failure. I'd be fired. And it's true. I guess I am unemployable when it comes to stuff like that. But that's the problem is you can't put that much pressure. We need a viral video, that type of thinking. It's it's really hurtful to putting a business in a place where they're just every day telling and sharing and talking up stories that may – and or may not matter to their audience, but over time, cumulatively, people would look at it and go, okay, that, that person has done something. And I appreciate what you said because I, I people talk to me about success and I always cringe not because I don't love that word or not because I don't think I'm successful. I, I, I'm, I'm very sort of self-deprecating and I can be very tough on myself, mm-hmm. but I do define myself as extremely successful. But if I defined it, it would not be the same definition I might have for you, or you might have for yourself.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And for some,
0: it's money. For some, it's power. For some, it's fame. For some, it's just a check box of a thing that they wrote down when they were a kid. And I think all of them are damn good definitions of success. And I say it with as little ego and as much, you know, humiliation. I guess well, not humiliation, but but as much sort of reverence for mm-hmm. what it is that. You know, I really do feel like if, you know, if I happened to walk outside and get struck by a truck and I was unable to do things or, or died, that I would in my final breath go, at least I did check a lot of boxes of things that I thought when I was really young and I'm somewhat self-proud of regardless of how others perceive it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I think it's important to keep that personal stuff personal. Uh, I think sometimes we can be too clear, too transparent you know what I mean? And I think it's it's important to keep that stuff sometimes a little closer to the chest I think
0: well, also, you know, look, I had, a, I had a, a moment in time where I sold my business, this digital marketing agency, to WPP, the largest advertising communications network in the world. We then took that business and rolled it into a bunch of other acquisitions and launched this thing called Miram several years ago, which is now a global digital agency that has hit the Gartner quadrants for, you know, magical quadrants for digital agencies and is, is growing and doing well. And some people go like, oh, success is he sold his business. And it's funny because while there is a financial component of that uh, absolutely, it, it wasn't necessarily for me that, that that defined the success of it. What defined the success of it was the fact that the number one player in this space wanted it and, mm. and went through the process of it. That to me was the success of it. If you know what I which is it's not strange, it's just my own version of it where i feel like if if we you know we didn't just start a new turn the page or start a new chapter with the agency we closed a book and started a new book yeah new that volume. to me was yeah. that was that was not a new volume a new book that was success to me that that i could put a check mark against the 17 years almost that i put into this one operation that even if i should leave in shame you've been fired meant we don't need you anymore which could happen that i would still say hey Built this small thing out of Montreal with three partners that I love dearly to this day. Sold it to the number one player, rebranded it. It became the global thing that I always wanted it to become. Checkmark.
1: Sure. Get it. Totally. All right. Last question. I'm going to wrap up. We live in a very, very fast-changing world. We've got to adopt. We've got to adapt. We've got to kind of you know, do the whole weeping willow Harry Potter thing, sway from left to right a little bit. Uh, On a pretty regular basis, how do we continue to make ourselves as indispensable as possible in a world that changes so bloody quickly? How do we do that?
0: I don't know that there's one specific answer. I mean, again, I sort of consider my position very fortunate, which speaks to a lot of the stuff we've tackled. Hmm. Um, I, I always knew that if I spend my days, thinking about the industry that I serve, which happens to be the marketing and communications industry, with an eye on technology and what's coming, that that's a very long and wide runway. And so the challenge that I would say is wherever you're at in your life, in your world, what have you done to make it a very wide and long runway in terms of your ability to keep moving down it? It would be very hard if I had sort of like you know put a stake in the ground and said it's all about let's say bad example but Snapchat you know and that's what it is it's, you know if Snapchat suddenly has a bad week at the markets or if Facebook does what Facebook does or Google does what Google does suddenly right. my runway can get very very narrow and very very short if you're a startup and you're you know funding is often a, a very very quick way to to have your runway shrink or 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 or, or come shorter. Um, so the way in which I do it is to always look at the trajectory of my career relegated to how long and how wide can I make the runway. And so, again, now I know that if my, my – you know when I talked earlier about my, my content center of excellence, I look at it as a triangle. And the triangle for me are brands, consumers, and technology. So that's where I spend all of my energy and then the bullseye in the middle of that triangle is marketing. If you look at that, you might go, well, a lot of people do that. It's true. Now a lot of people do do that. I think over the years, I built a unique voice though in that. And I think if you look at that triangle, you could never say the problem with it is we're going to run out of runway here. There was mm-hmm. always going to be a new way for brands and how they connect to consumers primarily through technology that's going to evolve and change. So what was blogging and Twitter a couple years ago is now augmented reality, virtual reality, and let's say voice now. And what's it going to be after that? I don't know, but that is my job. And so because of that, that creates some buffer and comfort in my life and that's how I would parlay it to everyone else is look at that runway how wide and how long is your true runway I love it what a great way to close
1: out brilliant answer uh real pleasure to have you on the show man it it took me long enough to get this to get you on but I'm glad that we finally got it done let's make sure that it's not so long to get you back again how about that Chris I can't thank you enough for your time you tell me when I'll be here all right, my man. Um, you guys that want to maybe potentially find out a little bit more about Mitch and, and what he's all about, obviously I'll link to his blog, the podcast, the books, at Mitch Joel on Twitter, show notes over at chrisducker.com forward slash episode 237. We'll be back at you again next week. Until then, go and figure out how long and wide your runway is, and we'll be back at you again soon. Bye for now. I'll see you on the inside.